You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Uh, but today we are blessed to have a guest speaker that has known Pastor Dan and his family for more than 25 years. Uh, she's from the church that Pastor Dan grew up in. Uh, so we're just so pleased to have her here. We make her feel welcome, Dr. Ann Bates. I have this. <laughs> Whenever I get introduced as Dr. Ann Bates, I look around going, who's, who's that? <laughs> Still trying to work with that one, but we'll get there. Good morning, everybody. I hope it's okay if I move around. Like, can you still see me if I move around? Just if I do this, that's bad, right? But that would give me, I'm trying to work on my Fitbit here and get more uh, steps possible. In the, I stayed over last night in the hotel room. I, I put on my watch this morning, and I was walking around a little bit, and then I looked down at it, and it was stuck on 666. I'm like, <laughs> moving more? It was not moving. I said, I cannot have 666. It has changed. So just rest assured, I feel much better now. So as you can tell, I am an uber serious person. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to deal with that today. Um, but I do have what I believe is a word from the Lord, and we will be reading scripture. Is that okay with you? All right, good. I want to start with a story, though, first. About six years ago, I was making a major life transition. I was uh, leaving my job at the church. I was associate pastor and children's pastor and youth pastor all through the time. I'd been there for 10 and a half years. But I felt like the Lord was opening a door for me to go on to get my doctorate in strategic leadership. And I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about uh, encouraging people and equipping people. That's just the way I roll. And so that was a major change. If you've ever changed churches, like you've moved and gone someplace else, uh, had to kind of break in a new church, um, that's not always easy, right? And so it was a little bit of a, not a struggle per se, but it was just different um, for me. And I thought, you know what, because this, I'm going through this different season, I'm going to do something for myself. And so there's this leadership conference that I had been to in the past, but I hadn't been for a number of years. So I thought, that's it. This year I have the time. I'm going to go down to Atlanta, Georgia for this leadership conference. And one thing that I loved about this leadership conference is they would always have a theme to go along with it. And everything that they did throughout the entire conference supported the theme. So one year the theme was be present. It was about us focusing on the now, right? And not just letting time pass away without paying attention to it. And so they would have people out in the parking lot. One was dressed as a bee and their partner was dressed as a present. Bee, present, get it? So everything that they would do, they didn't sting us with bees or anything like that. It wasn't one of those weird, crazy leadership conferences, but... I just absolutely loved this conference. So I got so excited, I went to my computer and I looked up the conference and I found out that the theme for this year was Awaken the Wonder. And I, I'm going to start with confession because confession's good for the soul, they say, right? 
I thought, that is the dumbest idea for a leadership conference. Awaken the wonder, really? Everything that they had went along with Awaken the Wonder, and that's all well and good. The, the speakers were good. They had some spoken word. They had poetry. They had artists there. They had uh, people that got up and preached. They all these different things. But I tell you, the one thing I remember from six years ago when I went to that conference was this. There was an illusionist there, you know, like a magician, Sometimes I hesitate to say magician because people think black magic and they think evil and all these things, but it, it really was just sleight of hand, you know, making you look over here when I'm doing something over here, you know? And so he did that. He did some sleight of hand. He cut one of the audience members in half. <laughs> he put them back together, so that was good. But then there was this one thing that captivated me that I remember to this day. And he began to tell a story. And while he was up telling this story, he had a white piece of paper in his hand and he was folding it and folding it and pulling off little pieces here and there. And he's just doing this while he's recounting this story. And the story was this. He was remembering when he was a child, and I don't remember exactly where he was from, except that it was one of the southern states in the United States. And he said that as a child, he remembers on Christmas Eve praying for snow, right? How many have ever done that before? I never pray for snow now, but... <laughs> Back when I was a kid, I, I do recall that. But so he's telling this story about how he was praying for snow and still he's, he's doing something with this piece of paper and pulling off pieces and he says he would pray, then he would go to sleep and he would wake up Christmas morning, he would run downstairs and throw open the door and there would be no snow. And so as he does this, he unfolds what he has and he has a paper snowflake. He said this was about the only snow he saw as a child. It didn't stop him from praying, though, because a year or two later, his family went to his grandparents' house. And his grandparents' house was someplace north of where he was. And so he said, I remember praying on Christmas Eve that there would be snow on Christmas morning. He said that next morning. Now, remember, he's still folding. He's folded back this piece of paper. He's taken a pitcher of water and poured a little bit of water into the paper. So he's got this wet, gloppy mess in his hand. And gloppy is a word, I think. <laughs> this gloppy mess in his hand, he's still playing around with it as he's saying he prayed that Christmas Eve that it would snow on Christmas morning. He fell asleep. His mother comes in to wake him up the next morning and says... Johnny, I don't remember his name. Johnny, I want you to see something. He's like, okay, he gets up. He's got his jammies on and his bare feet. Um, and he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes as he walks down behind his mother. His mother opens up the door and it's snowing. And he is overwhelmed and so excited. He runs outside in his jammies and bare feet, he's twirling around. That, you're welcome. Twirling around because he's so excited for the snow. Now, mind you, he's still doing this in his hand. And he starts waving his hand over his other hand. And these little flicks start f f coming up from it. 
and he waves his hand more. He's still telling the story about how he's outside in his jammies and it's snowing. And all of a sudden, these little flecks start coming. It's as if snow is coming out of his hand. Well, that's pretty cool. But he continues with the excitement that he has of that snowfall. And he looks up like he's a kid looking up at the sky and his mouth drops open while he's waving his hand and snow is coming up. But I tell you, when somebody, you're in an arena with tens of thousands of people there and the speaker looks up and their mouth drops open, it makes you look up. So I remember in the audience looking up and my mouth dropped open because it was snowing in the arena. And bam, just like that, I was taken back to when I was a kid. And that feeling, he awoken the wonder inside of me. I, can, I feel guilt, goosebumps right now, recalling that time. And so you may think, well, Annie, what does that have to do with the Bible? It has everything to do with the Bible. Because sometimes we can get so busy... Sometimes I get so busy. I don't know if this happens to you, but I get busy. And I don't always ponder on the word. I'll read the word in the morning, but sometimes I don't sit and marinate in the word. You know what I mean? Like just sit there and let the Holy Spirit speak to you because I'm busy. And then one day turns into two days, turns into three days. And it gets kind of comfortable and it gets kind of casual and the wonder kind of goes down a little bit. And so the scripture that we're going to read this morning is in Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, you can open. If not, they're going to put it up on the screen for you. Psalm 139 is a psalm of David. And I believe that David is trying to awaken the wonder of God throughout this psalm. So we're going to read the whole psalm, and we're going to look through it. I hope that's okay. Well, no one answered, so it must be okay. Either that or I already put you to sleep, which is miraculous, because I've only been, you know, speaking for a few minutes. Psalm 139. We'll read it uh, in entirety right now. I'm reading from the NIV. You can read it in your uh, translation, or you can just follow along with me. Psalm 139 for the director of music. Of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. 
your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 19. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The title of my sermon today is The the Omniness of God. The Omniness of God. I'm not really sure omniness is a word, but because I'm a doctor, I figure it is now. <laughs> so we're just going to go with that. Uh, this psalm breaks down nicely into four equal sections of six verses each. And so in each section, we're going to view an area of God's omniness, hence the title, The Omniness of God. The first six verses talk about God's omniscience, God's omniscience. And just in case you're not aware, that, that part omni means all, and then Omniscience, the end part of that means to know. So God is all-knowing, right? All-knowing. You can drop that fancy word at a party and people will be like, whoa, you learned some really cool stuff. You guys probably already knew that anyway, though. So as we look here, David starts off right away, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. There we go, omniscience, all-knowing. You have searched me. Now, searching in this context, just so you know, is not like when you send your child to find their missing sneaker. You know how they kind of look around the house and go, yeah, I don't know where it is. And you walk two steps over and you go, it's right there. It's not searching like they're searching, right? Which is barely a search. But searching in this case comes from like an an archaeologist, you know, that is searching for buried treasure, for artifacts, for those old things that give us history and are of great value. An archaeologist does not go with a big shovel and start digging like crazy, right? An archaeologist uses a smaller like trowel and brushes those things that simply brush away and look 
to find the hidden treasure below. That's the type of searching that David's asking God to do or has said that he has done already. God looks at all those areas within us and he knows us. He knows us inside and out. You know when I sit and when I rise. So he knows all of our activities. He knows exactly what we're doing. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what we're thinking. That sometimes can be scary. I know it's scary when I think about what I'm thinking. But then I'm thinking about the fact that I'm thinking. Eh. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. So he says, you know, you perceive, you discern, you are familiar. These are all different words for you know me. You know everything about me. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. So he knows the activities we're doing. He knows the thoughts we're thinking of. He even knows what we're going to say before we say it. God knows everything. Now, I must confess that that, for me, God knowing me in that way is comforting. Because if we are walking righteously before God, we should have no fear. That should be no threat. That should not be scary at all. However, for those that are not walking with the Lord, that are not walking righteously, we have to realize that that can be terrifying. That can be so scary to know that God knows everything about us. Verse 5 says, you hem me in. And one of the commentaries that I was reading in says those words hem in is like, Um, when armies would go and besiege a city. They would go in, if they were going to go against a city, they would surround the city. They would cut off the opportunity for anyone in the city to leave, for them to get supplies. They would so cover it so that no one could leave that city. Barnes is saying that that's what this hem is, that God has us so securely hemmed in that we can't go anywhere without him, right? But then another commentator that I tend to like, Warren Wiersbe, he views this word more as guarding a valuable object, right? Like when you go into these museums that have these these diamonds that are worth trillions of dollars, they have all this security around it, right? It is hemmed in so that nobody can steal it or hurt it. That it has kind of like that. I almost wonder if it also has the idea of a baby being swaddled. You know, when you bring those covers all around and tuck in and all that, the baby can't move, right? But it's for the safety of the baby, right? It's to help the baby feel secure. That it's kind of like that, that God knows us and he wants to care for us. He doesn't know us in such a way so he can go, you did that. I'm sorry, but that's not the God I serve. Our God does, will judge us, will hold us accountable, but he's not looking for, oh, I hope Annie takes that step over there. I'm going to get her, right? It's not like he is not the God of whack-a-mole where the little mole comes up and you whack. That's not what God does. He knows us because he wants to care for us because he's got a plan and a purpose for us. And that's for everybody. 
So at the end of this first section, it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Notice how God is omniscient. He knows all. And yet David tries to capture this. He tries to wrap his brain around it. And he said, I can't. It is so big. It is so great. It overwhelms me to try to think that way. It's awesome. Our God is awesome. We move into the second set of six verses here, and this one is omnipresence. That's the omni that this focuses on. Omni again, all or everywhere, present. God is everywhere. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up, 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 up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down, 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 down to the depths, you're there. We can't go up that way or down this way and get away from God. There's, it's not possible. If I make my bed in the depths, okay, I said that. If I, verse 9, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. Now, for this, we need to think about Israel, right? If I rise on the wings of the dawn, what rises at dawn? The sun, right? It rises in the east. Last I checked, still does, right? Rises in the east, but then it says, if I settle on the far side of the sea, to the west in Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. So David here is saying, from the east to the west, if I try to go that way as far as possible or that way, I can't get away from God. He's everywhere. And again, this is where it can be terrifying if you're not walking rightly with God. But it is such a comfort if you are. That our God, God Almighty, the God of the universe, cares about us, that he wants to be present with us. Like, can you even capture that idea? It's such a crazy, huge idea. Even if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, how many times did you run away if you were in trouble and you tried to hide like in the back part of the closet and shut the doors where it was like dark, 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 right? That's not dark to him. He'll even see us there. So light and darkness does not affect God. He can still see us. He's still with us. Even the darkness is light. There is no place that we can run. And, and I might suggest as well, where would you run to? I came to faith at 27 years old. I had gone through college. I had been drinking and smoking and doing these other things. I didn't know the Lord. Came to faith at 27, and I was solid. I was in. I remember, though, there were a few times when my faith got a little shaky, and I was like, God, I felt like God was asking me to do some stuff, and I'm like, yeah, no, mm -mm, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out, tapping out. And I remember we had these uh, 20-something leaders it was a couple, and the husband was this big, burly guy. And I remember going up to him after service. This happened a few times. And I would go up to him, and, you know, he's still like a head taller than me, but I would take my Bible, and I would put it on his chest, and I'd go, you can have this back. I don't want it anymore. And the first time that happened, he would, you know, say, come on, what's going on? He'd talk to me. Well, the second, third, fourth, yeah, I'm not a quick study on this. It takes me a while. 
But the second, third, fourth time that I went and did that, he started laughing. And he had this like belly <laughs> laugh. I'd put my, and he'd laugh at me. And that got me even more frustrated when someone laughs at you. And I'm like, why are you laughing at me? And he said, because I know God is about to do something. Because every time you come and try to turn in your Bible, it's just the enemy trying to get you off course because God's about to do something. He said, and I can't wait until you come back to me and you tell me what God's done, right? Where can we run? And the fact of the matter is, where was I going to go? Was I going to exchange God for my past? Uh Uh-uh, there was nothing back there for me, nothing. The third part here, the third omni is omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful. It starts off, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That verse, I love that verse. Because that shows that God handcrafted each one of us. And you may think, well, that's kind of like he should be omni-creative. Well, he is omni-creative, right? But I don't know about you, but can anyone else just reach in there in the womb and kind of knit something together when a woman's pregnant? If anyone, ladies, comes up to you trying to do that, you better, like, slap them or something, get them away from you. But God is all-powerful that he's not limited, that he holds all power, that he knit us together. Now, I don't knit personally, but I, I know a lot of people that do knit. And I know that when they get to knitting, even if they try to create exactly the same thing, it never comes out exactly the same. It may look similar, but there's something different. And God creates each one of us uniquely, uniquely for a plan and a purpose that he has for us. And every single person here, even if you're online watching, God's got a plan for you and a purpose just for you. So much so that he would knit you together. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God does not make junk, right? Because that would make him fallible. So we can't say that he makes any kind of junk. We may take our roads a certain way. Our choices may make us end up in a place where we might look like junk, but we're not junk. The Bible says in the beginning that God created man. Let us make man in our own image, right? We are made in the image of God, which that saying alone gives us inherent value. You are made in the image of almighty God. You have inherent value. That's good. I don't know, but that's good. My frame was not hidden from you when, you when I was made in the secret place. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hmm, does God really have our dates and times written down ahead of time? Well, in Job 14.5, I'm just going to read the verse. You don't need to turn there. Job 14.5, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. 
And then in Jeremiah 29, 11, so familiar, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He created us with a plan, his plan. And what we need to be doing is spending time figuring out what his plan is. How precious to me are your thoughts, how vast the sum. This is so interesting to me. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Think about that. I don't know if you've ever been to the beach. I'm assuming people have, right? Have you ever tried to pick up the sand and count out all the little pieces of sand? Number one, the people with you would think you're crazy. But it's impossible to do, right? And it says, so David's trying to to count this, how precious the thoughts are that God's made. And he says, when I awake, I thought he was just counting just a second ago. It's so tedious to try to count all the grains of sand. David must have fallen asleep. Think about it. I know I would snooze right away. I'd be like, 467, right? It's tedious. It's taxing. It's overwhelming. It puts you right to sleep. But he says, when I awake, I'm still with you. You haven't gone anywhere. You have not left me. You've promised never to leave me nor forsake me. I read that somewhere. Okay, that's in scripture too, right? Like, my head is about to explode with how good God is. And I know it's always important for us to kind of grab hold of that value part that God has created us for a purpose. And I have to tell you that the world outside is not going to tell you how valuable you are. They're not. And as a matter of fact, the world out there, and I'm not just saying your area, in my neck of the woods too, South Shore of Boston, it's the same thing. People aren't going to tell you what your value is. You need to know your value in God. I'm reminded of this story of this little boy who goes up to his father and says to him, Dad, what is the value of my life? The father thinks for a minute and he says, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you right away, but I want you to do something. And the son is like, okay, what? And he said, do you see this stone? Picture a stone here. See this stone? And the son says, yes. He said, I want you to take this stone, and I want you to go down to the market, and I want you to hold out the stone. And if somebody comes by and says they want to buy it from you, I don't want you to say anything I just want you to put up two fingers, this. So the boy goes, okay. He goes down to the market, holds out the stone. A woman comes up to him and said, oh, I love that stone. It would look great in my garden. Are you selling it? How much is it? So the boy does what his dad says. He holds up two fingers. And the woman says, $2? Great, I'll take it. Now, the boy doesn't know what else to do. His father only gave him instructions up to that point. So he put his hand around it, and he ran home to his dad. He said, Dad, there's someone at the market that said that they would buy it for $2. And he said, he just kind of nodded his head and went, hmm. So he says, now, son, I want you to take that stone to a museum, and I want you to hold it out, 
And if someone comes by and asks you how much it is because they want to buy it, I want you to do the same thing. Don't say a word. Put up two fingers. So the boy goes, okay. Goes to the museum, holds out the stone. A man comes by and says, oh, I really like that stone. I would like to buy it. Is it for sale? How much is it? The boy doesn't say a word. He holds up two fingers. The man says, $200? I'll take it. The boy again doesn't know what to do, so he puts his hand around it. He runs home to his dad. Dad, there's a man at the museum who says he'll pay $200 for the stone. And the father just looks at him and, hmm. So he says, son, I want you to take it one more place. I want you to take the stone to the precious stone store, and I want you to hold it out, and if anyone says they'd like to buy it, do the same thing, hold up two fingers, don't say a word. Boy goes down, holds out the rock. The guy at the precious stone store comes over and looks at it. That is the rarest stone I've ever seen. Are you willing to sell it? How much? The boy holds up two fingers and he goes, $200,000, I'll take it. The boy runs home to his father because he doesn't know what to do. He says, Dad, he wants to pay me $200,000. He said, son, do you see how much your life is worth now? It all depends on where you put yourself. Don't settle for putting yourself. Someone is not going to appreciate the value that is inside of you. That is a word for us. It does not matter what age we are at. We are of great value to God, and we need to put ourselves in the place where people are going to value us because we have inherent value because Almighty God has put his stamp upon us. And he has a plan, and he has a purpose for us. And again, there may be, I've been feeling this so strongly. There may be somebody here or somebody online that you just feel like, you know what, that ship has sailed. That's the phrase I had. That ship has sailed. That ship has not sailed until God determines that ship has sailed. Until he takes you home, you have great value to God and you just need to tap into what that is, what he has created you for because he has created you to reach people that I'm not going to reach, right? That Pastor Dan's not going to reach that any of us, we all are in different circles and God's got a plan for each of us using the gifts and the talents and the strengths he's put in us. You may think, well, I would never get up there and talk in front of people. That's not my gifting. Well, that may be true, but you may be the best hugger in western Massachusetts, and God will use that. Or maybe you make the most spectacularly smelling and tasting banana bread, and God will use that. God puts the gifts in us because he knit us together in our mother's womb. Now, there's still a few verses left in here, but it's, these verses are a little different. I don't know if you noticed that when we first read through it, because David's talking about all the omnis of God, and then he comes to this place, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Yikes, that's a little bit different, right? Think about it. Slaying somebody, that's murder, right? That's taking them out, it's slaughtering them, it's assassinating them. Seems like very odd language. 
compared to what he was just saying about God. Won't you do that? Won't you remove all these bloodthirsty men from me, those that speak evil? They misuse your name. Don't I hate them? Can't you just take them out? Please don't ever pray that ever, 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 ever. Because I don't know about you. I don't know where I would be if someone had prayed that about me. God, our God, is the God of second chances. So you may be thinking, well, you gave me three omnis. What's the omni for this section? Well, I had a hard time deciding. So I came up with three of them. That God's omni-holy, he's omni-merciful, and he's omni-loving, all of which I don't think are words. But that's okay, you get the point, right? That God loves us so much and he's so merciful that he doesn't want to just slay people. And I don't think his heart is for us to pray that. Slay them. Instead, we should be praying, Lord, you know how they rub my fur the wrong way? Please touch them and bless them and (laughs) whatever. He wants us to see, is there any way that you can use me to reach them? And I think... I think the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in this because verse 23 and 24 kind of flips back. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Wait a minute, isn't that weird? Search me, that's present tense, right? And when he started in verse 1, David said, you have searched me. I almost wonder if the conviction of the Holy Spirit came in and said, "Uh uh-uh, wait a minute. Where would you be if I just slayed everybody that was speaking evil? I'm not willing that any should perish, but I want all of them to come to faith and salvation in me. Right? So I think maybe something happened to David in that piece where he's like, oh, hold on, you have searched me, but... Search me again, O oh God. Let me know if there's anything in me that is not pleasing to you because I want to walk in that everlasting way. David's whole thing here is to awaken the wonder of God. That sometimes we can get so busy in our schedules that we forget that God is omniscient, that He is omnipresent that he is omnipotent, that he is omni-loving and omni-merciful and omni-holy, right? But it's time for us to kind of do, I don't know if you ever use computers, but sometimes stuff goes wrong on computers and like they freeze and you have to do a reset, right? You have to kind of restart it so it clears out all the little bugs that got in there. It's almost as if God wants us to hit the pause button and just come back to, you know what, God? You are all those things. You are almighty. And even in the midst of grief, because I know that came up a lot in prayer, God is still here and he's still watching and he's still in control. It may feel so out of control, but God is still in control, right? We have to go back to that and remember, oh, God, you are so awesome. And it's so overwhelming to try to count up all these things because it causes me to fall asleep. But God, (laughs) but God, thank you for all that you're doing. Now, it may seem funny. You might have come into church today thinking, 
Well, today's Pentecost Sunday. Remember Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came? How does this fit into Pentecost Sunday? I think it absolutely fits into Pentecost Sunday. Because when they were gathered there in the upper room, it said that they were praying, that they were praising, that they were all together. I have to imagine that they were thinking about God, that they were praising him for his mercy and his blessing. But we have to remember that stuff in order to come to that place where God is going to fill us with the Holy Spirit, right? We have to believe that we are of great value and that God would want to dwell in us, that he would want to give us the gift of his Holy Spirit. So it does fit. It's just not a traditional Pentecost Sunday message. But I want to encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled again and be filled again and be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Because in my life, once hasn't been enough. <laughs> like I need it every day in order to get through my day. So I'm going to encourage you to stand if, you, if you're able. And we're going to pray. And then there will be some music playing. Um, and I just encourage you, if you would like prayer, um, Happy to have you come forward. If you want to pray right where you are, happy to have you do that too. But one thing that I would encourage you to do, I know there's going to be coffee out there, and I know that's a temptation. But I'm going to ask you before you leave this room that you just pray, Lord, am I released to go today? And if the Lord says yes, then have at it. But if he says, just wait just a few minutes, I encourage you just... Settle in with God wherever in this room. Don't leave until he does everything that he wants to do in you today. Ask for a fresh word from him. Ask for a fresh touch. He wants to give it to us because he cares for us that much. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us so much. Thank you for your grace and mercy on our lives, oh God. Thank you that you have a, you've blessed us, even though when we didn't deserve to be blessed, oh God. You still sent Jesus to die for us, even when we were sinners, oh God. Thank you for wanting to save us. Thank you for wanting to spend time with us. Thank you for knowing us, oh God. Thank you that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us, oh God. And so, Lord, as we uh, end this service today, we pray, speak to us today, Lord God. We ask that you would fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit, oh God, that you would empower us, oh God, to be witnesses for you, Lord, witnesses within this community, Witnesses within our workplace, within our families, within the people that um, are pumping gas on the other side of where we're pumping gas, Lord God. We pray that you would meet, meet us, fill us, use us, O oh God, to speak a word that will awaken the wonder in others, Lord God. You've awakened the wonder in us, Lord God, so we pray that you would fill us so that we can do that for others, Lord, because we know uh, you're not done with us until you decide to take us home, Lord. So we pray, Father, thank you that you have given us value, and thank you that you want 
to spend time with us, Lord. So we're going to stay and we're going to sing to you or pray to you, and then we're going to ask you if we can leave. But we pray, Lord, that if you want us to just linger in your presence for a little bit longer, that we would hear your voice. So we thank you in advance for all that you've done today, all you're going to do, Lord. We pray for divine appointments this week, Lord God, and that you would bring us back together with testimony on our lips of what you did this week um, and how you used us. So we thank you and we praise you and we glory in you. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. 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 If you'd like prayer, feel free to come up or pray where you are. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.